Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look to your word, that it will come alive to us, that it would be life to us, that, Lord, it would provide the strength that we need, the nourishment that we need, because your word is as bread, your, bre- your word is as water. It gives us, Lord, what we, the sustenance that we need daily. And so, Father, we pray that as we look to your word, Father, it will come alive in our hearts and in, our, in, our, in the good soil of our hearts, because you, Holy Spirit, are working in us. You are causing it to become effective. You are the one, Lord, that is working in each one of us so that, Father, mindsets are changed. And, Lord, our hearts are in tune with the will of God, with the mind of Christ, even as we were reminded in the call to worship. Lord, in every way, coming to you and looking to you for what we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 16, let's start to read in verse 1. I've got a number of things that I want to share today, um, but there's, it's a very interesting parable that Jesus tells his disciples. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager or steward was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in, the master called the steward in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first... How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some versions, and even as you're following along, you may see the word mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is just the Syriac word for riches or money. Continuing on in the scripture, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, as we look at this chapter, or this passage, pardon me, and we consider this question, whom do we serve? How are we to understand this parable? Is Jesus saying that we should be like the dishonest manager? 
that in order to be shrewd, we should cheat or lie, that we should use someone else's resources for our own benefit or gain. You know, there are, there are two schools of thought amongst those that are studying the scriptures about what the manager actually did. One school of thought is that the manager reduced the interest owed on the sale, that this was a, it's sort of a debt as such, that the customer or the person who had received this was owing this much money and he was reducing the interest on the sale. Or, second, that this manager reduced his own sales commission from what was owed to his master. So he was cutting his commission so that these people would then be indebted to him personally. It's not the most straightforward reading of the text, and it's a little bit of a stretch to be able to come to all those conclusions. So how should we understand that? How should we understand Jesus talking about what's sort of described in the text as a dishonest manager, as one who mismanaged or didn't do the right things with the master's resources? So here's the thing. As with all parables of Jesus, we have to glean what is true, what is consistent with the principles and truths of God that are clearly and repeatedly communicated in other scriptures. And we have to look and see what is the primary purpose for Jesus telling this parable? What is the message he's trying to convey? In this case, as he does in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, which, st which states, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus is speaking of the need to deal with people and situations wisely and carefully, shrewdly. He's not saying be like a snake. He's saying here's a, here's a situation or here's an example. Here's a comparison. Here's this man, dishonest as he was, who behaved shrewdly. And you who are off the light, you're not of the world, you're off the light, but you've got to learn how to deal wisely, carefully, deliberately with the things of the world. And you need to understand how to use worldly wealth for eternal gain, not for your selfish gain, not for the worldly gain that would remain in the world, but how can you use worldly wealth? How should money move in and out of your hand so that there is eternal gain? That's what Jesus is talking about. And we can be very sure that Jesus is not saying we have to be, we have to deceive or to be dishonest. Because in verses 10 through 12, he clearly speaks about honesty, trustworthiness, and good stewardship as requirements for receiving anything from God. You want to receive something from God? You want to be entrusted with God's resources? You want him to, to have you manage more? then clearly, he says, you need to be honest, trustworthy, and a good steward. So this is not about deceit. It's not about all of those kinds of things. So what is the primary purpose of this parable? Uh, a couple of months ago, based on Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34, we considered what the Bible says about possessions and the heart-treasure connection. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also the heart treasure connection. We looked at that in the context of talking about possessions. And we specifically, in that context, we specifically looked at the difference between a steward, a manager, and an owner, and how our understanding of stewardship affects our understanding of material possessions. Here, Jesus is not as much focused on the steward or stewardship as he is speaking about two masters, God or money, and about which master we will serve. Whom we serve will determine the course of our lives. Whom we serve will consume our thoughts and actions. Whom or, or whoever our master is, whether it's God or it's money, our service to that master will affect our whole being, our spirit, our soul, our emotions, our will, our intellect, our memories, our emo you know, everything, uh, everything about our soul, and it will affect our bodies because we will pursue the two masters or we will 
seek to serve the two masters in a way that affects all of our being. So then serving the right master becomes vitally important. We can't just say, well, I'll do both. I know, I'll, I know I'm in the world. I need to make money. I need to do these things. So I'll, I'll pursue those things. But at the same time, I'm pursuing the things of God. I'm faithful to God. I go to church every Sunday. I read the Bible. I pray. But I'm also doing this. You know, it, it's, it is impossible to serve both God and money together. And, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail about what that means. What does that mean to serve that way? Because, you see, here's what happens. Money in itself is not the issue, but money is an amplifier of what's in our hearts. Money can bring out distorted values in people. Pursuing money or the love of money can make people selfish, lead them to take advantage of others, treat other people as objects, be unfaithful to God. And that pursuit reflects an unnecessary or an excessive attachment to the world and the things of the world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, familiar scriptures, it says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, when we think about whom do we serve, if we serve money, here's what that starts to result in. When we serve money, we overestimate its power and value. We think, if I had more money, I would be happy. Things would be different if I had my own money. Everything will be okay if I just have money. And we think that that money, having that money, will give us something that is currently unachievable or intangible, or we think it's unachievable. And so we say, oh, if only I had more money. Money will answer the problem, will solve the issue. So we overestimate its power and its value both for now and for eternity, right? Or eternal impacts. Second thing is, if we are serving money, we become anxious about how to make it, how to get it, how to acquire it. What should I do? How do I get money? And then we become anxious on how to keep it. Well, now that I have this money, what should I do with this money so that it's safe? What should I move with this, do with this money so that you know, nobody can get it no, or, or no one takes advantage of me? And you're starting to become anxious about not just getting the money, but keeping the money. And then you start to become anxious about growing the money. Oh, how can I make this increase? What should I do? I think I need to invest in this. And your focus is now much more on how to make it, keep it, and grow it because your mind is filled with these thoughts about money. Again, remember, as we've talked about in the Biblical Money Management Seminar, and I'll refer to it one more time as we keep going through it here, our focus is not on not having money. <laughs> We're not saying you should not have money. Absolutely, God gives resources into your hands. You need to manage that money appropriately. But when the money takes control over you, when it has mastery over you, rather than you telling your money where it should go, or you telling God's resources where they should go, then they start to dominate in your life. The next thing is that if you're serving money and not God, it will lead you down a path of overspending and living in debt, perpetually in debt disproportionate debt in terms of your income, living beyond your means, mismanaging your money. Why? Because you're serving money. You're going after that. You're pursuing that. That's what's more important to you. So the acquisition of it, the retention of it, the investment of it, the growth of it, but also the spending of it will start to consume you. So money, when you serve money, can lead you down this path of overspending and living in debt. The next thing is that money can, if you're serving money, 
money never is satisfied, or this pursuit for money, pursuit for wealth and riches is never satisfied. If you say, how much will satisfy you? If someone asks you that question and you say today, a million dollars, if I have a million dollars, I'll be happy. I assure you, when you get your million dollars, you'll say, you know what? If I just had five million dollars, that would be better. It would be much better. And when you get the five million dollars, you'll say, you know what? Ten million dollars would really make a difference because then I could help people all around the world. Right? I wouldn't just be taking care of myself and my family, but oh, I would be able to do great things around the world. When you get the 10 million, you will ask and think about more. Money is never satisfied, or the love of money, the pursuit of money is never satisfied. We become greedy for more and have this inordinate desire to get more. And then, if you're serving money, and this is an important point, you will feel like you don't have enough even when you have more than you need. We will tend to feel like this lack. I don't have enough. I don't know if I can afford that. I don't think I can give to that. I don't think I can spend on this. Why? Because money has a way of making you live in this insecurity, in this poverty mindset, in this fear. And so... The more you get, the more that these kinds of feeling of lack can grow in you. We have to safeguard against this. When those kinds of thoughts start to come into our mind, you have to ask yourself the question, am I serving God or am I serving money? Most of us, or maybe even I could say everybody listening to me right now, we have more than what we need. We really do. But when we pursue money, you will always feel like you don't have enough. There will always be this feeling, oh, if, if I just had this much more, or I don't think I can do this because what if then I run out? What if I don't have enough money for my retirement? What if, you know, some big expense comes up? And there's always fear, insecurity, things that will drive you to then get into this vicious cycle of being anxious about it, trying to get it, move in this way, and then trying to acquire more. Serving money never ends well. Now, before we talk about, and, and, and clearly when I ask this question, whom do we serve, where, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm talking about when we serve money, these are all the things that happen, I'm just about to tell you that when we serve God, these are all the things that will happen. But before we go there, before we get to that point, I want to go back to this section, Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. It's a, it's a tricky passage because he's speaking about money here or he's speaking about serving God and money and so on. And then we get to this section in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus who hears or who sees how the Pharisees are responding to him, who knows that they are sneering at him. He's speaking, it doesn't seem like there's anything in what he has said that you would disagree with, right? You, you, would, you, would, you would seem to say, yeah, that's, that's right. We can't serve God and money at the same time. And, you know, we, we shouldn't serve God and money at the same time. You would think that the religious leaders, those that knew the word of God, those that were looking to fulfill every single duty and call of God, command of God, would be most conscious of that. But yet here we read that the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. They loved money, heard all this, and were sneering at him. And so Jesus says to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. There's a, such a, a powerful statement that's being made by the Lord here. We can pursue certain things and then justify our pursuit of it. It's not wrong. We need it. We must, you know, look at this. And we justify our own pursuits. 
our own desires, our own actions. And many times, even in the cloak, in the cover of religion, of religious practice, of being a good Christian. And yet, Jesus says, God knows your hearts. He knows what you're really thinking. He knows that when you give, what's actually happening in you. And we know from other scriptures that, and we're going to get into some of these things too as we keep going through the book of Luke. We know from other scriptures that Jesus is saying, if you're giving so that you will be seen of men, you'll have your reward in earth. But that's not what God is looking at. He's looking at your heart. So, and then he goes into this next section where he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And we looked at this when we looked at the birth of John and we looked at how he was announced and what that transition was between that period of the Old Testament as we would refer to it now, but the period of the law and the prophets and that was it was culminating in this birth of John, the greatest who had been born of women and this, this prophet that was coming on the scene who was now pointing to the fulfillment of all the prophecies and was pointing to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is saying, since, or pardon me, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Now we are getting this proclamation and the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is being preached. Jesus comes in to initiate, to, to usher in the kingdom of God. And we today on this side of the cross, are living in the kingdom of God. And so we live by kingdom principles. We live according to kingdom truths. We live according to kingdom authority. That's the way that we look to the, the fulfillment of this word. But he uses this phrase here, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. Some translations have slightly different wording there. And this is a, a slightly difficult phrasing. It is, it, it's not exactly clear why Jesus uses this phrase or how in the, or at least what we are reading in English, how we should understand this, forcing their way into it. Because it's very clear from the Bible that you can't force your way into the kingdom of God. You can't say, oh, I'm going to, you know, storm the gates of heaven and I'm going to be in the kingdom of God no matter what. You can't say, my good works enable me or uh, or are merit my being in the kingdom of God. You can't say my, uh, my background, my context, my whatever is, is sufficient. Like the Jews could have said, you know, or the children of Israel or through the lineage, they could have said, that's sufficient for us to be in the kingdom of God. No, there is a, the kingdom of God, the entry into the kingdom of God is by the spirit of the Lord that has regenerated us, that has caused us to understand the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross, and that through that sacrifice and the acceptance of his blood being poured out for us and his blood being shed for us and his body being broken for us, that we now have eternal life with him. We didn't do something to have our sins forgiven. He made the sacrifice so that our sins were forgiven. So when we understand all of that, we, we, we're clear from the word that we enter the kingdom of God by the provision of God, by the will of God, by the truth of God, by the word of God. So we're not forcing our way into the kingdom. So what is he speaking about? Well, one of the ways to understand this may be that there is a compulsion, a, a propelling, a, a, a force applied on you in a sense. You know, in, in a, Paul speaks about, I am compelled to do this, or I'm compelled to, to obey the Holy Spirit here. And in that sense, you could speak about that as saying there is an external force that is moving you into the kingdom of God. That's one way to think about it. There's also this idea that the, the word of God as it is preached and the truth of God as it comes into you is forcing, it's breaking through the darkness. It's breaking down all those fortresses that you have built, those strongholds in the mind, the mindsets that you may have. And that that breakthrough of 
God's truth, God's light, God's revelation is now enabling you to enter in to the kingdom of God. Whatever that precise meaning may be, Jesus is speaking about the fact that we are in this kingdom of God being brought in. And in this kingdom of God, there is the culmination of the law and the prophets. All those things that Jesus was, or God was speaking through his prophets, through his servants, until Jesus came, is now culminating. It's now being fulfilled in Jesus. And so Jesus says, there isn't a transition verse between verse 16 and verse 17, but he's speaking about the fact that the law, the word of God, is complete and now powerfully active. He says, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. That he's saying, look, the kingdom of God is here and everything that has been spoken, now it's taking place and nothing's going to fall out of it. Nothing gets removed from it. It's fulfilled. And then in verse 18, again, it seems like there's something missing. There's like a verse missing between 17 and 18. He just says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Why, why go into this specific uh, statement about divorce and marriage and adultery in the context of speaking about who you would serve and about you know, knowing that the kingdom of heaven has come and understanding what the word is, is giving us. Why speak about this? Now, uh, as I've mentioned before, one of the ways to understand scripture is with other scripture. You, you look at what the word says in other places. You don't just take something in isolation and you don't take it out of context. You look at it in relation to other scripture. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. In, um, when we were looking in Ephesians, when we were studying the book of Ephesians, and particularly in Ephesians 5 and 6, and we're going through the ways in that the Lord speaks about husbands and wives and parents and children and masters and slaves. And we talked about some of these household relations as such. We spoke about marriage and we spoke about what the meaning is and some of the things that are, uh, you know, that we need to understand about the sanctity of marriage. And we will come back to this topic of marriage in other conversations. Here, without going into depth about marriage and divorce or adultery, what Jesus is doing by referring to this particular example, this particular part of the law, is that he's saying, you think of marriage and divorce in a specific way. And you try to apply the law in a very narrow construct because of the hardness of your hearts. You're actually not living according to kingdom principles. You're not behaving with the, or, or responding to your spouse according to the love of God and the truth of God and the things that would be 
would be characteristic of the kingdom of God. You're not dealing that way. You're dealing with them from the hardness of your heart and according to law, and you're doing it to justify yourself. You're not doing it in terms of love and in terms of the kingdom of God principles. And so therefore, he uses that as an example to say, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. One of the other principles that you should understand about the word of God, and you'll find this even when Jesus is on the cross, and you'll find this in other references in the Bible, it, the Bible sometimes uses a shorthand. So Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's actually referring to an entire psalm that speaks of the Messiah on the cross or gives you a much more vivid description. The rest of the psalm he doesn't say from the cross. But the people hearing him would have immediately recognized, oh, this is what he's referring to, and would have had the context of the whole, whole psalm. They didn't have a book like we do in the sense that they would say Psalm 22 or Psalm 91. They didn't have numbers like that. They just knew the passage from memory or from having studied it frequently. So when somebody referred to just the first part of it, they would immediately understand what the rest of it was. So here, when Jesus just gives this very cryptic, anyone who divorces his wife, marries another, commits adultery, he is causing them to think about that whole context. Right from the book of Deuteronomy, when he talks about marriage and divorce, and then continuing on throughout the scriptures, what does the word say? What does God say? And he's causing them to think about all of that. Okay. So I wanted to make that little bit of a statement about these verses because they can seem a little bit disjointed from what has gone on before and what I'm just about to say. But this is how it's connected. This is how it, it, it can make sense. So that brings us back to this question, whom do we serve? And we said when we serve money, we have all these things going on in us. That's the way that we can sort of evaluate our minds or our hearts and so on. But when we serve God, what happens then? What happens to us when we serve God? When we serve God, we learn to be faithful with little. No matter what is in, given into our hand, it may be relative to somebody else very little. That's what the word says. It may be in, in, even for your own needs. You may say, oh, this is very little. This is actually very difficult. This is tough for me to be able to move forward with this. It may be very little. But when we serve God, we learn how to be faithful with little. We're able to understand that God is guiding and leading and directing our steps. And we are able to be content. We say, oh God, I thank you that you have provided for everything. You have taken care of me. I have no lack. And so even if this seems like very little, I will be faithful to administer these resources in the right way. Next, when we serve God, we retain, we remain in Him in such a way that the right heart attitude and the right mindset as good stewards of God are what we practice or what we exercise or how we live, live out our lives even if we are entrusted with much. God knows what we are able to do or what the heart is, right? Remember, that's what Jesus said. God knows your heart. And so he knows if you have been faithful to handle $1,000 and you are doing all that with the right attitude, God can put $10,000 and you remain faithful in that and you're a good steward and he, you're doing what he wants you to do with it, he can put $100,000 and you're faithful with that and you're maintaining all of this right attitude. You're not now starting to serve money as more money has come into the, through your hands, more money is coming into your stewardship responsibility. No, you, you continue to serve the Lord in the right way. Now he puts a million dollars and you remain faithful, you remain consistent, you remain as a good steward. God knows what we can do and how we will be serving Him. You see, 
The reason that God would not put a million dollars or five million dollars or ten million dollars into our hands all at once is not because of him, it's because of us. We have to learn, we have to know, we have to be faithful, we have to be diligent, we have to be disciplined, we have to do those things in the right way so that God can say, yep, okay, here you go, I'm going to entrust more into your hands. And we're going to get into some more parables where we'll see this truth come out. But retaining the right attitude as good stewards, when we serve God, we have that right attitude and it causes us to deal rightly with the resources, with the money, even when we are entrusted with much. When we serve God, we follow Jesus' example of coming not to be served, but to serve. You see, when we serve God, we follow Jesus' example of serving. Many times, when we are getting into additional gain. So for example, you are promoted in your, in your workplace or you receive some, some, some windfall of some kind. It's a natural tendency, it's, a, it's our sinful tendency to then think, oh, I am being exalted, lifted up, moving up, getting more. People should now serve me. People should now work on my behalf. People should do what I want. But the principle of the word of God and the principle of Jesus, and even as we were reminded this morning, Jesus came, humbled himself, took on human flesh so that he could serve, not so that he could be served. And that has to be a very real example for us, a very real truth for us that directs our thinking and our ways. When we serve God, we value the knowledge of, value his knowledge of us, pardon me. We value his knowledge of us. We value his word and we value his kingdom. We're saying, God, I thank you that you know everybody's hearts. My heart is deceitful. I can justify myself. I can say, oh, you know, I'm doing this for all the right reasons. But I want to come to you, Lord, who knows my heart even better than I know my own heart. And I want to ask you, Lord, please reveal my heart to me. Let me know whether I'm going in the right way or not. Show me if I'm serving money or I'm serving you. Make it clear where my heart is. I value that, God. I want that scrutiny. I want that examination. I want the light to be shown into my heart. I want the dark recesses of my heart to be revealed so that it will be clear to myself and to others what's the real condition of my heart. Who am I serving? So we value that knowledge of God of ourselves. We value his word, what he has commanded, what he has said, the law and the prophets, all that has led to where we need to be. His principles that he said, this is how you have to manage money. When he talks about tithing or giving or being generous, I value his word. I want to live according to that. And we value his kingdom. So that when the Lord says, here's what you can do. Here are these resources that are going to come through your hands for the advancement of the kingdom of God. For the purpose of, his, of, of God's uh, will to be done in this world. For touching these specific lives. For reaching out to these group of people. Then by all means, Lord, I want to do that and see your kingdom come and your will to be done. That's where we know when we're serving God, we value all of those things. And then, you know, in light of all of these truths, in the way that Jesus sets his example, in the context of these words that we are reading here, and particularly in the context of those that are around us today, crying out in all sorts of ways, the things that are affecting the nation and the world, the ways in which we need to think about those people around us and how we treat people. I want to say to you that when we serve God, we take care of the least of those around us. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. Nations here means ethnos or ethnic groups or 
people, all, all races, you know, everybody would be, everybody would be gathered before him. And, and he will separate the people one from another as a shep shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The separation here is not based on any external con consideration. The separation here is based on how they have responded to the message of the gospel and how they have received or not received Jesus. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. When we serve God, we look out for the disenfranchised, for the downtrodden, for those that have been marginalized. We look out for them. We say, Lord, what should I do? How can I serve them? Help me to be discerning. Help me to have your wisdom. Help me as you're directing resources into my hand, that I would be a good steward to take care of these that you are leading me to. Help us as a church, Lord. Help us to take care of the least of those around us. Help us to bring our resources to the storehouse, to the church, but help us as a church to take care of others to help, to be generous, to be a blessing. Maybe it is through the sharing of the word. Maybe it is through prayer. Maybe it is through something that is not material. But maybe it is also material. We've currently suspended our food distribution, but there, is, there are tangible ways in which we can help others. And as we resume different activities, as we look to see how the Lord would lead us, Let's be praying and saying, God, how can we reach out to those that are around us, the least of these around us? What should we do? Be led by the Lord. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, what should you do to respond to this word? How should you say, Lord, this word has to have root in me, has to have its work in me? And I want to challenge you. I made reference to this in the beginning about the biblical money management seminar that we do, but I want to challenge you that you would manage your money, that you would eliminate debt, that you would save and invest for the future, and that you would give generously, that you would understand, how should I do that? What are the practical ways for me to do that? And what should I understand about money as far as the Bible is concerned? The Bible has more to say. There are more than 2,000 verses on money. There's, there's a lot that the Bible talks about. Why? Because the, the, as we've talked about, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The, where your pursuit or which master you serve, that's going to impact your life. So God knows that. And so knowing that, he's asking us to be good stewards. So this morning, as we respond to the word, I challenge you that your response will be to say, Lord, help me to manage the money, the resources, all of the things that you have entrusted into my care, into my hands as a steward. Help me to do that in the right way. 
And as I do that, help me, God, to serve you by serving others. That brings us to this point of application this morning. Evaluate whether there are ways, any ways, in which you are serving money and ask God to make a change. Remember, if you're overestimating money's power and value, if you think money's going to get you what you need, if only I had this, it'll make me happy, it'll make me wealthy, it'll make me prestigious, it'll make me famous, whatever you're seeking, if you're overestimating money's power and value over you, if you're anxious about how to get it and to you know, hold on to it and how not to lose it and what all you can do, if you're living in debt and overspending, living way beyond your means, if you're not looking at your cash flow and everything else to understand whether you're managing your money properly, if you're just being greedy for more, and if you're living as if you don't have enough, even when you have more than you need, if that's what's going on in your heart, let the Lord show you. This is not a condemnation of any kind. This is not a statement to say, oh, you don't. No, this is a statement for you to say, Lord, you help me. You who know my heart, reveal to me where I stand in this, of, as to which master I'm serving. And maybe... 90% of my life or 90% of my heart I've given to the Lord as my master. But there's something there. There's just that anxious thought, that feeling of lack, something that I'm actually serving money. And I ask you, Lord, to make the change, to help me to serve you, to help me to be faithful with what you do give into my hand, for, to help me to build this attitude and this mindset of being a good steward. To help me, and, and by the way, this is not something to be done in, when I speak about all this, when you are 50 years old, after you've made your money, after you've saved enough, after you have a college savings fund for your children, then you say, oh, okay, now I'm ready to serve God in terms of, no, no, you may be getting a, 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 a wage for a part-time job that pays you maybe $1,000 a month. Be faithful. Understand what the Lord would have you do. And as you keep growing in this discipline and in this faithfulness before the Lord, He will entrust more into your hands because He knows that He can trust you for it, to handle it in the right way. So we're faithful. We build the right mindset. We follow Jesus' example and we take care of those around us. Let's ask the Lord to deal with us in these ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that your word is so powerful, so complete, so appropriate, so relevant for us. We thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that you remind us this morning that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and money. We're either going to love the one and despise the other, or we're going to serve and go wholeheartedly after the one and neglect the other. We, will, we would just won't be able to do both. Father, we may justify it. We may think we're doing the right things. We may, Lord, think about it uh, as a good thing. But you reveal to us, Lord, our own hearts. And you cause us, Lord, to serve only you. Only Jesus. Only God. Jesus, unless we do that, we stand at risk of going our own way, of going the way of this world, of not realizing or not living according to what you have given us in your word. Help us. And Father, if there's anybody who's listening to this word this morning, who does not know you, who does not know what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom where all these principles apply, I pray, Father, that they will come to know you that today they will say that Jesus, because you have given your life for me, I want to be accepted into the kingdom of God. I want to enter into that kingdom of God. I want to be where it's not by law and by rules, by, by good works, 
But I want to be where the culmination of all of those principles have resulted in the provision of an unconditional love and a sacrifice that cleanses me from my sins and causes me to be born again, to be regenerated into new life. Help me, Lord Jesus. Grant me grace to enter that kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if you are struggling this morning with all sorts of different issues, but particularly in this area of finances, I encourage you. Don't leave this time without saying to the Lord, Lord, I need your kingdom principles. I need your truth and I need your Holy Spirit to be working in me right now. Right now, so that I may serve you. We ask this together, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week, we want to die to self and to be raised up in new life in Christ Jesus. That is our reminder. That is our joy. That is our understanding to say, God, we thank you that this is your word to us. And this morning, no different. I want to encourage you that you would keep coming back to that truth. Lord, let me die to my selfish desires, my wants, my greed, my view of material things, and help me to be raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. And every morning, every Sunday morning, we want to speak a word of blessing. We want to receive this word that we've heard and the truth as a blessing to us. And the best way to do that is to have the word spoken over you, just spoken over us. So this morning, I'm going to speak a blessing over each one of you from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 to 6, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Slightly longer than some other weeks maybe, but just receive this blessing, this grace of God upon your lives. May you keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So may you say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Above all, may you love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. May you offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. May each of you use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, may you do as one, may you do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, may you do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.